This morning, if you're new with us, we're right in the middle of a series called One Heart and One Mission, and we're exploring together the vision and the values of Spanish River Church. So if you're new with us, in a certain sense, you couldn't have come at a better time. You kind of get a good sense of what this church is about and uh, what we believe God's called us to do and how we want to go about doing that great work. One heart and one mission is important so that we can do this work together. Each of us individually and personally have, as was noted earlier in that announcement about Kingdom Platform Training, been made by God on purpose and with purpose. And that's also true about the church of Jesus Christ and each and every congregation of that great global movement for the gospel. You and I are part of this remarkable story, this narrative that God is writing across the pages of history to bring the blessing of Jesus to the whole world and renew all things. So thankfully, you and I as a congregation can give ourselves to the Lord and to his purpose. We're going to take just a moment and again, reflecting on that, read this mission statement together. And if you brought your study guide with you, which I I hope you did, you can turn with me over there to, oh, page 1920. Most of the material is going to be there. If you haven't yet picked up one of those study guides, it's a devotional guide. There are three devotions that are in it for each week. We would encourage you to lean into that either individually or in small groups of people that you meet with, those three devotions each week that emphasize, underline, highlight the critical issues that we're talking about on Sunday morning, amplifying those out through the, through the whole week. So let's take just a moment and together, out loud, let's read this mission statement together that God has entrusted to us. It's not a new mission, but it is some new language that we're using to describe this mission which we've had from the very beginning. And we say this in, um, in, in reference to the fact that every single person needs a Savior and every single person needs a great church to, to call home. So because both of those things are true, then we will bring the transforming life and love of Jesus to our members, neighbors, and the nations in every generation through the gospel in word and deed and sign. So you and I are called to bring the gospel of Jesus to the world. And we've said to our members and to our neighbors near and far and to the nations. You and I are part of this gospel movement. We are a local church with a global vision. But that global vision is not something which sees only the ends of the earth without seeing across the street as well. You and I are called to bring the good news of Jesus to everyone we know, everywhere we go, and we're going to lean in on that this morning by looking at two key passages of Scripture, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, and then secondly, very short verse, which many of you no doubt know, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. So let me encourage you to follow along in your Bible. You can also see the verses up on the screen. If you're joining with us online, we are so glad that you are with us to participate in this service today, and we look forward to hearing from you as you join with us in this great commission. This, uh, this verse, Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, is typically called the Great Commission, and we read it here, the words of Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And then Acts chapter 1, verse 8. 
Again, Jesus' words, same setting, but this is Luke's account, a little bit different than Matthew's, where he takes some of the words of Jesus that Matthew doesn't record, and he makes sure that we get them. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And Jesus said in this passage, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And this is the word of the Lord. We are part of a centuries-deep and continents-wide story that God is writing across history. That he began when he spoke to a serpent long ago at the fall of our first parents, Adam and Eve, when he said to him, the woman is going to give birth and the seed of the woman is going to crush your head and I will reclaim this race and this creation. I will reclaim it all from the devastation of sin and the fall. Aren't we glad that God in the midst of the fall did not abandon us to our rebellion, but instead intervened in history. And he brought the seed of the woman, our Savior Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, crucified, dead and buried. He was raised on the third day and he will come again. And you and I encounter him in his resurrection, not just in wonder and worship, Lord, you're alive, we're astonished, we're amazed, but we hear him say to us, I want you to take the good news of this resurrection to the whole world, and I want you to do it in every generation, and I want you to bring it to every generation. My friends, the greatness of a church is not measured by its seating capacity. The greatness of a church, then, is measured by its sending and its serving capacity. You can have great amounts of people gathered together, but unless those great amount of people understand that they have been gathered to Jesus Christ, for Jesus Christ, and for his mission, then they may have a great community, but they have misunderstood what God wants to do through them in the world to bear witness to his love and his mercy that is given for the world. And so you and I have to understand that we are part of this great mission, every single one of us. But of course, the world in which we live has shifted dramatically over the last several years. And so sometimes when we think about bearing witness in the world, we tend to think of, well, well, this is what worked 20 years ago, or this is what worked 40 years ago in terms of tactics and strategy and so on. When I was 13 years old, I went to EE training. Now, some of you know what EE is, Evangelism Explosion. And it came, of course, out of, out of uh, the church in, at, at Coral Ridge, and how grateful I am for that. Many of us have gone to gospel boot camp and, and been trained, and that's wonderful training. But one of the things we have to realize, and I'm sure we do in many ways, is that the questions that people are asking now and the assumptions that they have right now are radically different than they were even 20 years ago. Frankly, even 10 years ago, much less 40 years ago. Culture has dramatically shifted. We live at a time now where all morality is relative, where relationships are completely transactional, where identities are fluid and fragile, and where sources of fulfillment that people hold out consistently disappoint and it leads to increasingly high levels of anxiety for people as they seek to 
find self-fulfillment. We live in an age of unchecked radical individualism where people believe that finding their personal fulfillment is their purpose in life. One of my favorite singers is Adele, and she just dropped a new record. I like Adele. But in her new record, the record is dedicated to her son to explain to him her divorce. So here's, here's, here are the record notes. Here are the album notes. This is um, a remarkable quote. It's honest, but it's jarring. This is Adele. I wanted to explain to him through this record when he's in his 20s or 30s who I am and why I voluntarily chose to dismantle his entire life in the pursuit of my happiness. And if you're wondering the circumstances that led to her divorce, she offers this further quote. It just wasn't right for me anymore. I didn't want to end up like a lot of other people I knew. I wasn't miserable miserable, but I would have been miserable had I not put myself first. But yeah, nothing bad or anything happened. So nothing bad happened, but I'm unhappy. And I know this is going to dismantle my child's life and destroy everything he thinks he can depend on, but hey... Life's tough. That's our culture now. And so when you walk up to someone and say, if you were to die today and stand before God, they would go, stand before God? What's her name? God? God's? It? Whatever. We live in really a time which is much closer to the age of the first church in terms of classical culture than we do to any kind of culture that was shaped by what some people would call a Judeo-Christian worldview, to use some old-fashioned terminology. The dots of God, eternal life, sin, that were kind of laid down in people's understanding in their soul, they just kind of picked it up by osmosis if they wandered around inside North American culture for any period of time. Those dots have been erased. And so when you talk to people or want to talk to people about Jesus, you really have to think of it in very different terms, and that can be unsettling. It can feel like this is impossible. Everything's in retreat. Things are falling apart. Yes, I know the church is growing like crazy. It's outpacing the birth population in most of the world, but where I live, it feels like it's in retreat, and it's shrinking, and I'm scared, and it all makes me upset, and I'm more moved by the world news than I am by the good news, and I am on retreat, and I do not want to go and witness. I do not like witnessing Sam I am. I do not like them at all. I have the um, habit of collecting old um, exam questions, funny ones. I like to get funny ones, kind of weird questions, but also weird answers. You know, questions, some good questions and some just weird answers, like, like, like when uh, or where was the Declaration of Independence signed? And one student wrote, at the bottom. Um, so, you know, <laughs> so I, I collect that kind of stuff, and I have a lot, if you have really good stuff on that, just send it to me. I, I, I'm a curator of weird test questions. One of my favorite is from a police academy on the north side of London. I came across it when I was living there years ago, the Hendon Police Academy in the north side of London. It's a final exam question. It's an essay question. I want to give you the question. You are on patrol in London. 
when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. Upon further investigation, you discover that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and that there is an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there is the strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognize the woman as the wife of your chief inspector, who is at present away at a conference. A, <laughs> a passing motorist stops to offer you assistance, but you recognize that he is a man who is wanted for a series of violent robberies. At that moment, another man runs from a nearby house, shouting that his wife is expecting a baby, and the shock from the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been thrown into an adjacent canal by the force of the explosion, and he cannot swim. Bearing in mind the provisions of the Mental Health Act, describe in a few words what actions you would take. <laughs> One young candidate, this is my favorite bit, wrote down the answer, I would take off my uniform and merge with the crowd. <laughs> Well, <laughs> so as Christians today, we do not have the option of taking off our uniform and just merging with the crowd. Now, we cannot retreat. We cannot abandon. We have to actually step in with respect and with honesty and with gentleness and humility into the task that is before us. Because it's summarized for us in these terms. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus says, despite everything you see around you, all authority has been given to me in heaven and where? On earth. And then he says, and this passage is often quoted in missions conferences, and it's perfectly appropriate to, to, to certainly quote this passage here, the passage of the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But nations there, we typically think of as places on a map with lines around them, whereas the Bible's term for nation means all the non-Jewish peoples. It means peoples. It doesn't mean political entities geopolitical entities. It means all the different peoples. There are hundreds of different peoples, for instance, in the country of India or the country of Nigeria. And so Jesus is saying, first of all, that it's all the different kinds of people that are in the world. But furthermore, he doesn't say simply to go across the ocean to another country. The early Christians certainly did that. They heard that in what Jesus was saying, and they did it. In the space of a single generation, they took the gospel to the Indian subcontinent in the east, and they took it to the furthest reaches of the known world in the west to the coasts of, of Spain, and all into Africa and up into Europe as well. In the space of a single generation, they did it, and they did it without the means of transport that we have. They did it without the resources we have, and they did it because they were absolutely committed to Jesus Christ. And they sacrificed everything to take that message of Jesus to everyone for whom Jesus had given his life. And they knew that that was their great, great joy and great task. But they also did it not by going to another place, but by living the gospel right where they were. Michael Green, wonderful theologian, great evangelist historian, late Michael Green, said that 80% of the evangelism that was accomplished in the first century of the church's existence was done not by ministers, but by simply the everyday members of the church. 80%. And the reason for that is because when we read this text, Matthew chapter 28, and we hear Jesus say, go therefore and make disciples, we tend to, for, we tend to miss something because what he's really saying is this. Here's, here's, a, here's, a, here's another translation of that. It's not just go therefore, it's as you are going. So if I said you go therefore, you might think, well, the, I'm supposed to sign up for at least a short-term mission trip and, find a, and, and get my passport. 
But listen to, listen to it a slightly different way. As you are going into the world, be making disciples. So you may not be leaving for another country on Monday, but how many of you tomorrow morning will be going into the world? As you are going to the office, as you are going to class, as you are going to the store, as you are going into your neighborhood, as you are going to the work site, as you are going to the factory, as you are going into the world, be making disciples. And let's not miss what this mission is. Jesus says, as you're going into the world, be making what? Disciples. Our mission is to make resilient disciples of Jesus Christ. It is not to gain decisions, names on a card. That's fine as a starting place, but let's remember that what we're called to do is make disciples through the gospel, resilient disciples. I use that word intentionally, resilient disciples, because again, one of the things about the time in which we live is that people are in deep flux, especially the younger generation, about where they are in relationship to the Christian faith, because they see a prevailing culture around them that not only does not support them in their belief, but which is actually in many ways hostile to what they believe. Now that's not new in church history. Church history has, church history has witnessed church, the church in many places in many times with a prevailing culture that was hostile to it. And that is why they had to go deep on disciple making. We cannot be frothy in our approach to God. We cannot be flippant in our biblical teaching. We have to go deep. We have to make resilient disciples. Because some scholars, statisticians tell us that right now, 9 out of every 10 18 to 29-year-olds, after they leave high school, after they leave the youth group, will abandon the Christian faith between those ages of 18 and 29. Nine out of 10. Unless you reverse that, then 20 years from now, there isn't a church. You have to reverse that. And that's why what we do with children, what we do with students, what we do with young adults is absolutely of such critical significance. And that cannot be simply having a good time, though obviously that's a vital part of it, but actually growing deep, giving them roots in the gospel, resilient disciples. And we have to do that by helping their parents as well become resilient disciples of Jesus. We are bearing witness to Jesus in the world so that resilient disciples for Jesus are formed. That is our mission. That is our commission. And every single one of us are involved in that. And that means we have to make some changes in the way we approach this. And now I'm going to start killing sacred cows. So we've got tables up here. And maybe it would be better if I just had a smoker. Because I'm going to kill them and cook them. So if I kill one of your sacred cows in the next 15 minutes, I'm just going to do that. So every morning, I'm so sinful, I prepent. I don't, wait for the end of the, I don't wait for the end of the day to repent. I just prepent. As soon as my eyes open up, I go, well, I'm awake again. You know what's going on. I just prepent in the sermon, all right? Let me just tell you, we'll go after a couple of things, and here's why. Because we have to understand, first of all, this means that every activity of the church is mission. Every activity of the church is mission. One of the most distorting things that can happen in our understanding is when we turn mission 
into a department. You see a budget, you know, sometimes you see those budget pie charts, and we go, well, here's the mission part. And we go, wow, look at what we do. We have so much of our pie on missions. My friends, it's all mission. Every bit of it. Every single bit of it. When you say, well, this part over here is mission because it involves another country or another people group, and you, that, that means that, I mean, are you really saying that what happens with the children's work isn't mission? Or what happens with the teen work isn't mission? Facilities is mission. You say, well, how are facilities mission? Because what you're doing is you're creating spaces in which people who don't yet know Jesus can come to hear about him and learn of him. That's what the purpose of your facilities are. You say, oh, I thought the facilities were for me. No. No, our facilities are not just for us. Our facilities are built for all the people who aren't here yet. And that's why you can never look at all your facilities and go, well, it's fine with me. Who cares if it's fine for you? The issue is, does it serve the people who aren't here yet? That's the issue. Boy, so see, down goes a cow. Okay. (laughs) You see, everything we do, facilities, administration, budgeting, Children's work, youth work, student work, every single thing. Pastoral care. Pastors are pa- have to now be pastor missionaries. Every pastor on our team has to be a missionary in his own culture. And our task is to train every single one of our members in the ministry. Remember how much of the evangelism was done? Not by the ministers, but by everyday members, according to historians. 80% of it. That means our task as pastors is to equip each of you how to, with humility and grace and understanding, share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. And if I am failing to do that for you, if I have failed to equip you in the gospel, I repent, I will change. My job is not to do evangelism so you don't have to. My job is not only to do evangelism, but to train you, each and every single one of our members, in evangelism. And everything we do, Paul put it this way, 1 Corinthians 9, we do all things for the sake of the gospel. Worship is about mission. That means that worship is not just for you to get your goosebumps to fly in formation. Worship is designed so that it is intelligible and accessible to people who don't yet know Christ. So they're brought into a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. Everything, worship, church planting, training and equipping, everything is about the mission. What is Spanish River Church about? It's about the mission that Jesus gave us to form resilient disciples in the world so that one generation tells the next the mighty deeds of God and 20 years from now there's a church that's 10 times as big as it is now carrying the word of Jesus to the whole world. That's our, that's our purpose, that's our mission. That means that every member is on mission. Every single one of our members is on mission. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the remotest parts of the earth. To whom did he say these words? He said it just to the apostles? No. After three years of ministry, healing the sick, raising the dead, feeding thousands, Jesus did not have some wildly successful movement going on. There were only 120 people, but they were 120 people that were committed to him and prayerful and humble, and they waited 
He said, wait in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. But they were men and they were women and they were young and they were old and they waited. And then it says they were all together on the day of Pentecost and they were, when they were all together in one place on the day of Pentecost, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind that filled the whole house where they were sitting and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak the mighty deeds of God in the languages that they'd never learned, miraculously, of the people in the nations that were gathered from Jerusalem. They'd all come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and they began to hear of the great things that God had done. And then Peter stood up to explain the phenomenon and what was going on, and he said, what you're seeing happen right now was prophesied centuries ago by an ancient Hebrew prophet named Joel, who said this, it shall come to pass in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on most flesh. No, that's not what he said, is it? It shall come to pass after these things, says the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your, your daughters, will prophesy and your old men will your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams and I will pour out my spirit on your on your male servants and your female servants young and old male and female everybody has the holy spirit let me tell you something about children children do not get holy spirit junior <laughs> children receive the holy spirit and that's why they bear witness. Children produce adults on a regular basis. You already know that. But here's the other thing. Children produce, through their witness, people that come to Christ. My very first Sunday here, a family that was joining the church came up to me. I said, tell me the story. How did you come to the Lord? They said, you see our children right here? Our children went to the school. Our children heard the gospel at the school. When they came home, they shared the gospel with us. Now we're Christians. Because they don't have Holy Spirit Junior. They have the Holy Spirit. And children bear witness to adults of the mighty deeds of God. You've seen that story repeated hundreds of times here. But also it says male and female. Let me say something about the ladies. The church, I don't mean Spanish River Church, I mean the church, capital C, big church, has spent so much time telling women what they can't do, they haven't spent enough time telling women what they can be doing. And when you read the pages of the New Testament, you see a story unfolding of women out preaching, women out evangelizing, women out serving, prophetesses, deaconesses, they're everywhere. They're preaching the gospel, they're sharing Christ, they're serving the church. It's an incredible army that's unleashed, and you can't have half the church sitting idly by thinking that they don't have the Holy Spirit, that God only gave the Holy Spirit to men. Are you kidding me? No. Ladies, you have the Holy Spirit. You're called to share the gospel. Now, I don't know a single Presbyterian woman going, I want that pulpit. I want that pulpit. I mean, that's not what's going on. Not at all. Though Dana Nicewander would be a heck of a preacher, let's face it. That's not what she wants. That's not what she wants. She's teaching. She's sharing. She's doing the stuff. Though if Dana was preaching out in the street somewhere, I'd go listen. I would. I'd be a terror. I used to be a street preacher. People stayed away by the millions. Okay, but I'm convinced that, <laughs> that I'm telling you, our ladies can be unleashed in ministry, in worship, in prayer, in service, in evangelism. 
You are not called simply to make the coffee for the people, the men, who are really doing it. You have been anointed by God. And the book of Psalms says, great is the company of women who will declare the name of the Lord. It was women on the first Easter Sunday who came to the apostles and said, guess what, baby? He's alive. The very first people who announced that Jesus was alive were chosen select women. And that is one of the great proofs of the gospel because in the ancient world, you never ascribed any word to the testimony of women. But the, the gospel's very bold and says it's women who proclaimed that Jesus was alive. They're the first people who saw it, the first people who announced it. And against the prevailing culture that said, don't pay any attention to women, the gospels put the women right up front. Why does the church take women who are right up front and say, go stand at the back of the bus? Enough of that nonsense. Down goes another cow. I'm just warming up. I'm just warming up. Here's the last thing. I'm really not just warming up. I'm really closing. Here's the last thing. Every place is mission. Every place is mission. Every place is mission. As you are going into the world, make resilient disciples. Baptize, teach. The verb Make disciples. Two participles accompany it, baptizing and teaching. Who's supposed to do that? Who's supposed to be making disciples? Everybody's supposed to be making disciples. At your office, in your classroom, in your hospital that you go to work in. We're, into, we, we're going to plant churches globally. We've already planted churches in 37 countries and every continent on the planet except Antarctica. We're going to plant hundreds more. But one of the things that has to happen in the face of the changing culture that we're in is we have to reimagine what those church plants look like. And what if some of the church plants were in your home and you were leading it? What if one of the church plants is in a hospital and it's a group of doctors and nurses? What if one of the church plants is in a gym where people work out? What if it's, what if it's in a factory where men and women have gone to work, and it's in there, and that's where the worship takes place. What if Spanish River congregations were meeting all over the place, but they were gathered in gyms and factories and homes and all over the place? You know, that sounds vaguely like the early church. Because here's the thing, the model mostly that's been run is we're going to put on this big show and everybody come. But the Great Commission was not everybody come. The Great Commission was what? Everybody Go. And that's why you and I have to begin to see where we work and where we live, our neighborhoods, our offices, our workplaces, as the places where we make disciples. So I want to challenge you, where you live, where you work, to begin to pray into and lean into making disciples where you are. And you say, Pastor, I don't know how to do that. I'm so glad you asked. I am so glad you asked about that. Because we have this training time coming up, Kingdom Platform. That's part of it. But I want to make you a promise. I will spend and be spent, and every pastor here will, and every elder and every deacon, to train everybody in this church to intelligently, humbly, respectfully share the good news of Jesus and make disciples. Everybody who wants to be trained, we will train. We will train because we will take this issue seriously and we will take the good news of Jesus not only across the globe but across the street so that the people that we see every day will know and hear the good news of Jesus. 
Why is this so important? Well, I mentioned young people earlier. And I just want you to, I just want to share with you over the last couple of weeks, and you guys know this is true, I've, I'm, I've seen a level of anxiety which is on the increase. I talk to youth leaders, college ministers, pastors, and um, the level of anxiety and pain that is in this generation is extraordinary. I had a text a couple of nights ago about another suicide. Had an email a couple of months ago about another suicide. Suicide rates in this country are skyrocketing. Why is that happening? Well, there's a little thing called COVID. That's certainly producing great economic anxiety, great relational strain, great pain for many, many people. There's no doubt that that's the case. But for our young people, social media is a minefield. And every parent can attest to that. And recently, studies have come out that prove it. It's a grim situation. Instagram is a wildly popular photo-sharing app that's owned by Facebook, and it stands out with a star-studded milieu of glossy, hedonistic, relentlessly sexualized images that seem finely tuned to destabilize teenage understandings of their selves. And in a study that was released last week, it said that fully one in three teenage girls said that they found the images on Instagram to be negative in their impact on them because they see these beautiful people and they think, I don't look like them. They see these people achieving vast amounts of wealth and they think, I can't, I'm not like that. They're beautiful, I'm not. They're rich, I'm not. Now, I'm not telling any parent here to go home and take the phone out of your kid's hand. Cancel their Instagram account. That's not what I'm saying. Please, the pastor did not say that. (laughs) But what I am telling you is this. Our young people, I've never seen a generation more under attack than this generation. I wrote about it a week ago. I would encourage you to read the article about a young boy, a teenage boy, who was thrown into fire and water. His dad comes to Jesus and he says, I, I tried to get your disciples to help him and he couldn't help him. And Jesus says, do you believe I can help? He says, I believe, help my unbelief. You've heard that quoted many times. I believe, help my unbelief. That was quoted by a parent who was desperate about the state of their child. I believe, help my unbelief. Can any parent relate? He keeps throwing him into fire and water. That's not the first time Hebrew children were thrown into fire and water. They were thrown into the waters of the Nile as Pharaoh tried to kill him. They were thrown into the fiery furnace when Babylon tried to kill him. Satan's always after the children to try to kill him. But Jesus, in the book of Isaiah says, will be the one who leads us through the fire and through the water, and we will not be overwhelmed, and we will not be burned. And he, in fact, will baptize us with water and fire. And that's what we want him to do for this rising generation. We want him to rescue them from the fire and the drowning that the enemy has brought about and to baptize them with the fire and the water of the Holy Spirit. And my friends, it's time for us to take seriously the brokenness that we see all around us. Do you know what ministry in our church leads more people to Christ than any other ministry? If you think about it for just a second, you'll go, well, that's obvious. You know what ministry it is? The counseling center. Why? Because when people come there, they know they're what? They know they're broken. 
Here's our problem. There are several of us sitting here this morning who don't know how broken we are. Or if we do, we're afraid to admit it. But if Ted Lasso has taught you anything this season, it's that you can admit it. You can admit your brokenness. And Jesus brings the gospel to the brokenhearted, the brokenhearted in our youth, but also the brokenhearted in the adults who are all over this place right now and joining us online. And online, if you're brokenhearted, if you're panicked, if you're anxious, Jesus can heal you. I asked for a show of hands last night. I won't do it this morning. Everybody in the Saturday evening congregation that had experienced a measure of Jesus healing, bringing peace to anxiety. So many hands went up. I want you to know if you're broken this morning, if you're anxious this morning, if you're in heart pain this morning, Christ is here and he is the great physician and he can heal you. He'll begin that process with you this morning as you walk to the front and admit, I need healing. I need these broken places mended. Take the hands of somebody who will pray with you and say, I want Jesus to take this heart of mine, which is full of anxiety and full of distress and full of pain and full of fear and full of rejection, full of not measuring up, and I need him. Please, somebody, somebody heal my broken heart. And he will do it. And my friends, this means that as we go into the world, we're going out into an anxious world and a broken world. But you know what? That's that's the perfect intersection for the good news of Jesus. To go into our world that's full of so much fear, so much anger, so much anxiety, and bring Jesus to our world. God has given you a harvest. Don't look at the world and go, there's so much against us. Look at the world and go, the fields are white for harvest. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we want to make resilient disciples. We want to be those who obey the Great Commission. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit you give us. We don't want to take off our uniform and merge with the crowd. And we're asking, Lord, that rather than doing that, you would help us now to give ourselves to you. And I pray for every broken, anxious person here. We pray for the next generation. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to make resilient disciples in every generation, and that you would train us and equip us to take the good news of Jesus to everyone we know, everywhere we go, to plant churches in this city, in workplaces, in offices, in hospitals, in homes, in schools, wherever we need to do it to bring the good news of Jesus and to do it in other countries and to raise up church planters and to give offerings like we've never given before because we have to take seriously the commission that you have given us. You have one job. Go and make disciples. Jesus, we beg you, help us to do it for your name's sake. Amen and amen.